tonight to the book of Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter number 2, we're going to continue in our series on the subject of prayer. And uh, the message tonight might seem, at least in the beginning, uh, seem a little bit unrelated to our, our subject. But, you know, I'm confident that a lot of times we just we just don't grasp the significance of prayer. I, I was talking to someone uh, not not very long ago about a situation, a very, very important decision uh, that uh, this person was about to make, and uh, a poor decision, I might add. And, uh, and I made the statement, I said, you know what, I hope that you'll take time and pray about this and reconsider, uh, you know, what, what, what you're planning to do. And the very next words out of this guy's mouth was, well, I don't know how, I don't know how I can, and I, I'm, you know, I, I can't go into detail, but, uh, I, I just wanted to, <laughs> grab him by the nap the next day. I just told you, pray. You know, sometimes we act like, well, things are just beyond hope. I mean, there's no way that any good could come out of this or what, whatever it is. And, and a lot of times we make decisions that are life-changing, not only for us, but for other people. And, and we're not willing to pray 30 seconds about it. Just make a decision on the spur of the moment and let our emotions carry us away and end up getting ourselves in trouble. Well, tonight, I want to talk about blessings and burdens. And I could use that same title in reference to several different things. But tonight, uh, I want to use it in regards to church ministry. And uh, when you talk about the church, you know, the best place to go probably is the book of Acts. Uh, you know, uh, it talks about being the Acts of the Apostles, but remember, uh, what they did, they were enabled to do. We won't, don't ever want to forget that the Holy Spirit is the divine enabler. So it's not speaking about their great abilities, it's speaking about uh, the power of God working in their life, and there was a reason for it. First of all, let's think tonight about the blessings. Consider the blessings. Start in chapter number 2, and uh, we're going to be reading a lot of verses tonight, probably more than usual, but that's all right. You can't go wrong reading God's Word. Verse 36, Therefore let all of the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this... They were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. And then they that gladly received his word were baptized in the same day. 
there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all of the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now look in chapter 4 and verse number 4. We're just going to hit some highlights now. Chapter 4 and verse number 4. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about... 5,000. Now look in chapter 4 and verse number, uh, verse number 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, and neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things uh, all things uh, common, and with great power, the witness, the apostles gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them. Now, look in verse number uh, chapter five and verse number fourteen. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. Now look at chapter 6 in the first two verses. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied. Now we've gone from adding to multiplying. Notice, and when they multiplied, there arose a murmuring. So let's, let's stop and just think here about, about the blessings upon that early church. Multitudes were being saved. In addition to the 3,000 saved on the day of Pentecost, it says there were about 5,000 men. That's not counting, you know, the women or children, but 5,000 men that were saved shortly after that. And then it goes on and says, more were saved, men and women, they were added to the Lord, and then it says, and then they were multiplied. And so I have no idea how many thousand members the church in Jerusalem had. I've heard different preachers try to estimate all the way from 25 to 50,000. Well, you know, I don't know, but whenever I look at this, I know it's way up there in the thousands. They'd blow the top off of the top ten uh, Sunday schools in America today, no doubt about that. And so it's difficult to imagine that much growth in such a short period of time. And think about what a great blessing that would be. I mean, you can well imagine, let's say that Sunday, whenever Sunday comes, we have our regular Sunday service, and let's just say ten people get saved. Boy, I tell you, we'd be shouting all over the place. I mean, that's something to get excited about. Uh, I can remember I was preaching a revival meeting down here in Texas. It was over at Austin Avenue Baptist many years ago, Crystal's grandpa. In fact, Brother Nick Michaelinus was the pastor. 
and uh, that that in that one service that Sunday Sunday morning we had thirty some people saved, and I'll tell you what I I was excited, and I'll never forget. Uh, Nick uh, saying to me afterwards, he said, Brother Stone, I want you to look now at this because some people think that this church, you know, the only people that get saved and the reason we've got so many, it's all because of the little bus kids and uh, probably half of those people were adult people that had been saved in that one service. I mean, that is exciting when you see something like that happen. I can't even, I can't even imagine what it would be like to be in that situation. And, and look, that, that ought to be the desire of our heart to see people come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if we can't get excited about that, you know, we don't have a right to be happy about anything. So here we see the blessing, but now I want you to consider the burden. Because we come to chapter 6 and verse number 1, and I want you to notice what happens, and you mark it down, this always happens whenever the Lord is blessing, up jumps the devil. And in those days, the days that we've just been talking about, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrew because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Now, Try to imagine this great number of Christians at that time in Jerusalem and imagine the the difficulties that would be associated with a growth like that. I mean, how could the 11 apostles possibly handle a situation like this? I mean, what do you do? Whenever you've got so many. And, and, you know, whenever we read here and we know that, you know, they, uh, they ordain some men, set them aside, we, we call deacons and assign to them certain responsibilities. But when you consider that many people without any modern day communication equipment, uh, you know, no, no computers, not anything like that, uh, no printing presses, and and here they are trying to function as a church. That's a logis a, a logis a logistical nightmare. Uh, and and to think about trying to you know somebody says, well, I, I I'm I'm just going to find another church. You know, I I had uh, I had a sinus infection the other day, and the pastor didn't even come and visit me. Well, can you can you imagine them trying to minister to all of these people? Not not only that, but getting all of these people involved in worship. I, I don't know about you, but when I read this, my mind kind of runs wild, and I think to myself, you know, how did they do it? You know, I mean, is it one gigantic service, or is it one service after another service after another service? Uh, how do you mobilize this many people for service? Uh, how do you minister to that many people when they have needs? Working with so many people would be troubling, especially, keep this in mind, it's especially troubling whenever you consider that these are new converts. These are new converts, and immaturity causes a lot of problems. That's all right, by the way, because immature believers need time to grow, and until they develop, they're going to be problematic. It's just like, you know, we don't shut down the nursery and say, well, we're not going to have a nursery anymore because those little babies are a lot of trouble. 
Well, so what? That's what babies do. I thank God for the nursery and every little child in there. You know, that's wonderful. Well, it's the same way whenever someone gets saved. And whether they're 8 or 80, when they get saved, they are a babe in Christ. And they need time to mature. And so you have to work with people. You know, you've heard people say, well, you got to treat everybody the same. No, you don't. You're going to make a big mistake you try to treat everybody exactly the same. Now, you ought to be fair to everybody and so on and so forth, but you can't treat everybody the same because everyone is on a different level of spiritual maturity. And and I I just can't imagine being one of the pastors uh, on this staff and thinking about, let's say, let's say they had 25,000 members. I mean, how do you handle that? I mean, how do you keep up with it, you see? And so, now, keep in mind that with all of the problems that I've just mentioned, and no doubt many that I haven't even thought of, keep in mind this was compounded by two things, poverty and persecution. It's not, it's not easy when people are are going without, and many of them were. They were being persecuted. Many people didn't have enough food to eat. They were sharing with one another. They were helping one another. And so understand that any time that God is blessing, the devil is fighting, and where there are blessings, there are going to be burdens also. And we can expect that here. And look, that's part of it. Don't let that drag you down. Don't let that discourage you. You know, I've often thought, when we look back, say, over the over the time period that we've been here, and you, you keep wondering, uh, how many would we have if nobody ever left? Well, I, we, could, we couldn't get everybody in this building on Sunday morning if nobody ever left. But here's the fact of the matter, and that is people do leave. That's just part of it. They're going to be people that are going to come in. They're going to be some stay. There'll be some go. That's part of it. There are burdens and there are blessings, and we've got to learn to deal with both. Now, we see the blessings and we see the burdens. The third thing I want you to consider is this. Consider the blanks. You say, well, what in the world do you mean by that? Well, I say blanks because... It's interesting to me that whenever I look here in the book of Acts, the Bible gives us very few details as to how all of this was done, how they were mobilized for ministry, how they were ministered to, how they conducted their worship services, on and on and on. There's no no neat little tidy Plans given says, now, this is the way you do it. You know, you get all of the people you know that are over 30 to do this and all of the ones under 20 to do that. And No, there's no plan at all. They're just, I look at this and it's just blanks. And, and look, that's not an accident and it's not an oversight. God left out those details for a good reason and at least one reason is this, and that is that every church is different and circumstances are different. Every situation is different. And, and some people, you know, are amazing. They think, well, you know, that church over there, they did, they started the bus ministry, so every church ought to have a bus ministry. Well, I'm all for bus ministries, but there's some situations where a bus ministry wouldn't be feasible for certain churches. I'll never forget, I was preaching in uh, Amarillo, Amarillo, yeah, that's where it was, and uh, preaching a revival meeting there, and 
<laughs> and, and this pastor had uh, recently started, you know, a, a Christian school, which was awesome. That's great. No problem with that. And boy, I'm telling you what, he, that, that's all he wanted to talk about. And, uh, that, and he just, I mean, just come right out and said that it is a sin if you send your kids to the public schools and what have you. You know, I almost stopped him because he was, he was older than I was, in fact, and I almost stopped him and said, and so you're telling me all of these years of your ministry up until a year or two ago when you started the school, you've been living in sin all of that time because you sent your kids to a public school. You've, you know, you, you didn't start a Christian school and what have you, but he was just very adamant that every church ought to start a Christian school. Now, I'm not against any church starting a Christian school. We we support the homeschoolers. We allow them to meet here in our in our facilities every week. And that's wonderful. I'm behind but that's not that's not the thing for every church. Every church is not equipped to do that. I remember several years ago when this really really got started, really become popular. And I'm telling you that there's some of the professors at Baptist Bible College in Springfield literally taught the young preachers that what you need to do is go out here and start a church, and at the same time you need to start a Christian school. And the tuition from the school will help support the church, get you on salary quicker, and so on and so forth. Let me tell you, that's a bad idea. That's a very bad idea. I had some dear preacher friends that that ru- they ruined the reputation of the church fi- with financial problems as a result of that. You don't start a Christian school just so you can bankroll the church so you can get a salary. Uh, that that's not the purpose. So, it, it, you know, the Lord just leaves all of these blanks here as to how they manage this many people and and what they did. But, that being said, there are some factors that never change. So we've looked at the blessings and the burdens and the blanks. Now, I want to spend the rest of the time talking about the basics. Consider the basics. Churches today, at least a lot of them, are always looking for something new, something different, and that's fine to an extent. But we should never neglect the main things, the things that are set forth in the Word of God. And and the Bible defines for us what will work and, and what won't work. And in verse number 42, back to chapter 2, verse 42, and I want you to notice the basics that are mentioned here. And uh, these are the things to which that early church was devoted. And notice what they did. Number one, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Now, keep in mind, at that point in time, the New Testament had not been written, and so the the Word of God had to be communicated verbally. Can you imagine what a huge task that was? And yet, it was essential because spiritual growth cannot happen without the teaching of God's Word. And whenever it talks about, you know, the apostles going out every day teaching and preaching Every day. I mean, this, this church was ministering seven days a week. And, and they had to. Uh, they couldn't say, well, now look, you, you've attended three weeks in a row now, and so we're going to give you, we're going to give you a Bible. I never understood that. I, why don't you just give them a Bible to start with? You know, but anyway, that's what some churches do. But, uh, 
but here it says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. In, in other words, they are teaching the Word of God, grounding the people in the faith. And, uh, and, and, and uh, maybe somebody really schooled in Greek would add that it's, it's indicated here that they are attending to the things they are teaching. In other words, it's more than just them teaching, but they're putting into practice what they're teaching. And I don't have time to develop that idea, but it's very important remembering the Great Commission. Remember Jesus said, teaching them to what? To observe. To observe to do those things. And, and here was a church that was not just giving people information, but they were actually putting into practice the things that they were teaching. So they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, number one, and number two, and and fellowship. Now today, we've lost totally lost the meaning of that word fellowship. When we think about fellowship, what do we think? Well, we, we think about eating, don't we? We think about getting together and having a bowl of ice cream or something to eat, maybe playing board games and things of that nature. But that is not the meaning of this particular word. This word here comes from a Greek word, koinia, which means to share. It has the idea of having things in common one with another. And some of the verses I read a few minutes ago indicate that it said you know that they shared with one another they had all things in in common Uh, isn't it wonderful when you see a church operating like that ministering to the needs of one another just today i heard i heard about this i knew nothing about it whatsoever and i won't mention any names uh but somebody happened to notice that uh Someone had a couple of bad tires in the parking lot. So this week, I guess that was on Sunday, they called them up and said, meet me at a certain place and, uh, and put some new tires on their car. Isn't that awesome that people saw somebody else's need and responded to that need, sharing with one another? So they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and then it says, and in breaking of bread. Now, we could sit here and debate whether that meant they were having uh, their meals together or whether that's speaking of the ordinance of the Lord's Supper or whether it includes both, and it really doesn't matter which way you want to take it. The point is... These people were spending much time together with one another. They were working together. They were worshiping together. They were interacting with each other. And that's so very important because a lot of times somebody maybe will join the church and, you know, they see everybody on Sunday. We shake hands and, you know, ask how how have you been doing and so forth. And we walk out the door and we don't see them again until next Sunday. And, you know, if we happen to miss one Sunday and they miss a Sunday, it might be a month before we see them again. It really strengthens the church whenever we interact with each other. I'm glad to see the guys getting together, uh, having this little golf tournament. That's good. I know some of our guys get together and they bowl together. That's good. Uh, I know some of the folks that, you know, after the evening service on Sundays, they go to Denny's or one of the restaurants and go in there and just sit down and, and, and enjoy time together. That's wonderful. We need to do that. But the fourth basic is the one that naturally I want to emphasize, and I've got to really hurry now. Notice, they continued in all of those things and in prayers. Without this... 
nothing would be enough. Because prayer is essential to all that we do. And, and prayer is to the church what breathing is to the body. And it's impossible for us to be successful without prayer. This is what we need the most and what we probably do the least. So as we think about these mighty acts of God in the early church, this, remember talked about those blanks God doesn't spell out now. Here's a Sunday school campaign. You can use this, you know, and here's something else you can do to get the attendance up another 20%. And he doesn't give us anything like that. But the common thread through everything is prayer. And I'm going to prove that to you, and we're going to go fast. You don't have to turn to all of these verses, but we're going to race through this book. And I want you to see the common thread of prayer, the most basic thing that a church can do. Chapter 1 and verse 14. Now, this is when the disciples met together, of course, in the upper room after the ascension. And it says, And these all continued with one accord in prayer, and supplication. In more other messages, we'll talk about the difference in the, you know, different terms for prayer. And then chapter 1, verse number 24, this is when they chose a replacement for Judas. It says, And they prayed and said, Thou Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen. Now, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, this is after the great harvest of souls on Pentecost. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking the bread and in prayers. Now, chapter 4, this is when they're facing persecution, mind you. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the Word of God with boldness. Now, chapter 6 and verse number 6 This is the ordination of the deacons, and it says, "...whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them." Now, chapter 8 and verse number 15, this is when Peter and John, when they were sent to Samaria, it says, "...who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost." Chapter 9, verse number 40, this is whenever Peter raised Dorcas, and it says, And Peter put forth, uh, put them all forth, and kneeled down, and prayed, and turning him to the body, said, uh, Tabitha, arise, and she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Now, chapter 10 and verse 9, this is when God gave Peter the vision to go to the Gentiles, the household of Cornelius, and it says Peter went uh, went up upon the housetop to pray. Now, chapter uh, where am I? At? Chapter twelve, verse five. Peter is imprisoned. I love this story. It's absolutely wonderful. I uh, could spend a, an hour talking about this. Peter is imprisoned by Herod, and notice verse five. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but. Prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And then chapter 13, verse 3, this is when the church at Antioch, they're sending out Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journey. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Chapter 14, verse 23. 
Paul and Barnabas now are ordaining the elders in the churches. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Chapter 16, verse 16, this is prior to being confronted by the demon-possessed woman. Paul and Silas were praying. It says, it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. Now, chapter 16, verse 25, Paul and Silas are in prison now, and at midnight they call their lawyer, no, at midnight, they clanged their cup on the bars and protested that they were, no, notice they, what, prayed and sang praises unto God. Chapter 20, verse number 36, and uh, Paul's meeting with the elders of the church at Ephesus, this beautiful picture. He's about to go to Jerusalem, and they are begging and pleading for him not to go. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. Chapter 21, verse 5. He's meeting with the disciples entire uh, before continuing on. And when, uh, and when we had accomplished those days, we departed and went our way. And they all brought us on our way with wives and children uh, till we were out of the city. And we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. Chapter 28, verse 8, the father of Publius was sick and says, Paul entered in and prayed and laid hands on him and healed him. Are you impressed yet? I hope so. Whenever you read through and just over and over and over and over again, they prayed, they prayed, they prayed, they prayed. I mean, everything they did was bathed in prayer. And uh, we're not given the details as how all of the churches, you know, in those days operated and what have you, but it's clear everything was done with prayer. A.T. Pearson, many, many years ago, he's been dead for years and years, of course, wrote several books. He said, praying souls become prevailing saints. Praying souls become prevailing saints. That was true then. That's true today. If we want to prevail, if we want to get the victory, if we want to be successful, it's going to take prayer. And the book of Acts proves what he said is true. We are in a battle for everything that we hold dear, and we either pray or we lose. It's that simple, and it's that serious. We either pray or we lose. I was studying sort of by accident today, just doing some reading, and and uh, happened to end up in Luke chapter 18 and verse num- number 1, and uh, uh, and, and, of course, it has to do with the subject of, of prayer and where the Lord says, continue in prayer and faint not. Let, let me tell you, and, and I'll talk about that at some later point in time, but we either pray or we faint. There's no middle ground there. We either pray or we faint. We, and by faint, I mean we lose heart. We get discouraged, we give in, we quit praying, and when we quit praying, then everything else starts unraveling. You know, I know there are a lot of times in our life when we're undergoing great trials, 
Or maybe we're suffering horrific pain that we can't even explain to others or, or whatever it is. And there are times we don't even know exactly how to pray. We don't know what to say. And I can remember on different occasions just, you know, trying to put together some words, and I know it was nonsensical, but I, uh, I just finally had to get to the point. I just said, Lord, the only thing I know how to say is help. Help. I mean, I need your help in regards to this matter. I don't know what else to do. I don't know how to say it. And so, so we need to be, we need to be desperate when it comes to this matter of prayer because everything depends on it. We, we often think about the future of the church and somebody says, well, the, the, you know, the young people are the future of the church. Well, I know what you mean and that's true to an extent. But I tell you, we can have all of the young people in, in Harris County as members of the church. But if we don't pray, they're going to fail. Somebody says, well, what we really need, we just need larger offerings and more money. And boy, that'll take care of them. We can do a lot of stuff that will attract a lot of people. And now, if we don't pray, we're going to fail. It's, it's just that simple. Uh, we either pray or we faint. We don't do both. And so... Uh, when we think about the blessings of that early church and the burden that was upon them, understand that that church succeeded by staying with the fundamentals or the basics. And uh, that's the path to success for us even today. Whether as a corporate body or whether as individuals, we simply got to pray. Enough said. Thank you for being here. Let's bow together as we go to the Lord in prayer. Brother Morris, would you word our prayer, please?